Welcome to Shoot the Hostage, I am Dan. And I'm Sarah, and we're a movie show that covers eight films each season, tied together by a central theme. This season, the theme is folklore. We cover everything from explosive action to spine-tingling horror and everything in between. And as a heads up, we don't hold back on coarse language or specific plot details, so listener discretion is advised. This podcast is brought to you by our amazing patrons, without whom the show would not be possible. If you'd like to help out and access all of our bonus content, including new reviews and rap shows, all the relevant links will be in the show notes. And if you're not a Patreon person, but you would still like to help out, you could rate and review us on your podcast player of choice tell a friend and get them to rate and review us as well or come follow us and interact with us on social media mostly instagram x threads tiktok all at sch underscore pod without further delay here's this week's episode we hope you enjoy it and stick around The penultimate episode in our season, in this latest season of folklore movies, and we're continuing the folklore theme, conveniently, with The Green Knight. Yes. Which came out in 2021, our second 2021 movie on the bounce. Yeah, unintentional. Completely unintentional. We never think about these things, it just kind of works out <laughs> that way. Don't uh, make it sound like we underthink things. We we go to great pains to to figure out the lineup. We do grow go grow to <laughs> we do go to great pains. You're right, and um, some would say we might overthink it sometimes. Yeah, I we mean, have to stop ourselves. So that, like when, when that's our happen- mo: overthinking <laughs> things. Yeah. I included this to effectively throw you a bone. Okay. Um, <laughs> in in what respect? In the respect that I knew you weren't super psyched to cover folklore as a theme. It was very much my brainchild to do that this season. And I put the list together and I don't know, I I wasn't confident that you would like very many of the films on the list. There were a couple that I knew you liked, but I wanted to to put something in that was definitely more of a Dan flavour than Sarah, shall we say. (laughs) More flavour Dan. Okay. I like it and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) It's funny because I have enjoyed most of the movies thus far. Yeah, I'm Um, surprised. And obviously we only got one more to talk about after this one in this season mm. but yeah i've actually enjoyed most of them but we'll probably talk about that sort of thing in a rap show oh definitely yeah based on a 14th century poem story question mark yeah <laughs> i believe it's a poem I have, have you have you read the poem no i have not read the poem are you going to read the poem I, i'm not going to re- i'm not going to read a poem okay i don't think anyone wants to hear me read a poem um I'm not doing it. If I turned on a movie podcast and read a poem, it's going off. Okay. <laughs> not for me. Thank no you. poetry then. No. But I, I don't know much about Arthurian myth outside of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So <laughs> that is my strongest reference point which for I, this kind of thing. Which, as we know, was 100% historically accurate. I, I, w- In every regard. Yes. It, yes, it is. It, it, including Life of Brian, that's 100% mm-hmm historically accurate also yep. i believe and i haven't watched that movie in a long time so if there's anything inappropriate in there i'm sure that's not historically accurate <laughs> um <laughs> just gotta cover yourself haven't you <laughs> can't say anything these days careful <laughs> <laughs> yeah so as i said the most i know about arthurian law law myth is from monty python holy grail i haven't looked up the poem i know nothing about it what else was it excalibur maybe i saw that when i was a kid okay was that the one with the sword in the rock does <laughs> Well, didn't Disney do the Sword in the Stone? Oh, right. Okay. Was it? Was it a fox though? Was no, you're thinking of the, of the fox and the hound. Okay. <laughs> I've got those. <laughs> Which things I'm confused. pretty confident isn't folklore. It might be. Maybe. You don't know that. I don't know that. I can't say that with any conviction. No. <laughs> I all I can think now is a way to crowbar in your mother was a hamster and your father smelled elderberries. <laughs> But well, you think, did it. <laughs> I couldn't think of a way, so I thought I would just announce it that I'm going to crowbar it in. Okay. The Green Knight. It was made for a budget of fifteen million dollars, which is low, I would say. Well, to be honest, I'm shocked they got a budget at all because I can't imagine how the pitch meeting went for this. Mm. I think it would have been a very hard sell. So I think it's almost a small miracle that this film got made at all, let alone David Larry being given fifteen million to do so. Yeah, that's fair. I would I would counter that by saying it's a 24 mm. and they do put out some unusual and we we kind of getting used to it a bit more now. Well yeah, but, but I think 
I think what we need to remember is that A24, while they are a production house, they're still, to the best of my knowledge, predominantly a distributor. Right. So I don't know who put up the money for this. I'm not sure it was them. Well, they would have, I'm assuming as a distributor, you would need to put up some percentage of, of the money. Okay. I don't know for sure, but I would assume so. There'd what? be a multitude of people that are putting money into the pot for it. You have a lot more insider knowledge of uh, film financing than I do, so I'll trust you on that. Yeah, and I've got slightly more than a hamster. Just call back to that hamster I spoke about <laughs> oh, earlier. God. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't dealt with a lot of uh, film finance stuff, actually, in terms of how the money trickles down from the top. I've just kind of dealt with paying the vendors and stuff like that, but mm. I, would, I would love to get into that sort of thing as well. I think the budget is very low considering how good looking this movie is. Mm, very much so. It must have been quite a hard sell because I feel like a lot of what this movie about, and we'll get into it, is kind of in the fabric of it. Yeah, and or... a lot of it's kind of up for interpretation and it diverges a bit from the poem towards the end of the film, like the right. third act. But I just, I can't imagine pitching a film that's based on a 14th century Arthurian poem. I mean, if you ask any sort of English literature um What's the word? I was going to say major, but we don't have that in the UK, do we? Uh, scholar. scholar. Let's say scholar. Let's say there scholar. we go. We'll cut out the rest of it. So you sound like, <laughs> so you, you sound like a scholar. Cool. Um, <laughs> but it's it's largely considered to be one of the most important literary works kind of ever. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, and it's been picked apart to absolute death. But I, I think it's really interesting the direction that David Lowry went in. Agreed. I, I think it was a really smartly made movie. Mm. And it's one of those that I've seen it a few times now and it kind of it's like peeling away an onion. There's, there's more and more to, to think about, I, I feel like. Like a headache-inducing amount. <laughs> I've only seen it twice yeah. now. And I'll be honest, up front, I chose this because I know you enjoy it. Mm. We watched it for the first time together, I think in 2021. 2021, on a projector. On the projector, yeah. And I know you were quite enamoured with it on first viewing. I definitely wasn't. There was mm. there was a lot about it that I did like, but overall it kind of left me cold. And much like you've said in the past, kind of when, you, when you're forced to dig into films for the purposes of a podcast, it sort of sheds a bit of new light on them. Mm. So I, I still don't love it. Okay. But I've come to appreciate it way more than I did on first viewing. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have a, a good old chinwag about that oh, in a yes. bit. I, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but I was very surprised by what it was because I feel like the... I don't remember actually watching the trailers, but I remember my feeling of it is that this is going to be a horror movie. Well, that was that was exactly around. what I expected. I remember the first posters that dropped and I was super hyped because it sounded like it would be right on my street. Yep. But but that's when I... It's funny that we both had that assumption. There must have been something about the marketing mm. that made us both think that. Yeah, I think so. It, the, the name a, a 24 comes with a certain amount of expectation, I would say as well. And I know they're not all horror, but a lot of them are horror adjacent. Yeah. And I, I would say this is horror adjacent. In many ways, in, yeah. In terms of theme. But yeah, I definitely felt the marketing led us to believe a certain thing that it wasn't. It was unexpected. The yeah. movie was unexpected. But I wasn't upset by that initially. I was a bit jarred by it. But I was I think, upset by it. I, yeah, I, I gather. <laughs> and I understand because I know how much you love horror. And I feel like this could have been also a really good horror movie if they'd yeah. have changed a few things. If they'd have changed the soundtrack. I thought the, the soundtrack was very horrifying-inducing, if that's <laughs> a term that I care to coin right now on this podcast you heard it here first and you'll never hear it again <laughs> i don't think i could no exactly <laughs> <laughs> unrepeatable yeah yeah it's funny while we were watching it obviously we we kind of teased this show when we covered the witch because there are quite a few through lines in terms of cast look and feel of the movie the fact that they're both a24 mm. but also i hadn't really paid much attention to the fact that the soundtracks have a lot in common yep well, parts of them anyway. Yes. I was listening to the Mark Corvin score of The Witch today. Mm -hmm. And oh, no, I said The Witch. <laughs> the Witch, I beg your pardon. <laughs> and also, I've been listening to obviously the Green Knight score a little bit as well mm -hmm. recently. It's been very dramatic in the house today. Yeah, it has. <laughs> but I love both of those scores. They're really, I find them very just they, they conjure up such an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And I was about to say super atmospheric. Yeah. And they're very similar. 
Yeah, Mark, in, in so many ways. Mark Corvin did the score for The Witch and Daniel Hart, I believe, did the score for The Green Knight. Okay. But I don't know if you've heard anything about the instrument that was used on no, The Green Knight. I don't know a thing. I, I, I'll, I'll burn through this because I'm sure it's been talked about at nauseum, <laughs> but uh, at nauseum? Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> but the, there's this instrument called an apprehension engine, which is the most bizarre sounding name for an instrument. That sounds like a code name I would give to my crippling anxiety. <laughs> not an instrument. <laughs> yeah, it's not very catchy though, is it? No. You've got to address it constantly. It's a bit of a mouthful. It is a bit of a mouthful. But what's interesting about the apprehension engine is that it was commissioned by a guy called, who I mentioned earlier called Mark Corvin. Mm -hmm. And he asked someone to build it for him, a guitar maker called Tony Duggan Smith. And that was actually for the score of The Witch. Oh, nice work, Tone. Yeah. So they invented a, an instrument and I've looked at this thing on YouTube and it's the strangest machine that you can, like there's a crank, like a, a crank wheel thing. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, like a worry, you move this bit of metal and then you, you remember when you used to do woodwork at school and you've got the metal rulers. Vaguely. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put, you point them off the edge and you, you do a little boing. Like yeah. You, you can put a little rubber on it or something. Yes. Thing, put a rubber across the classroom. Um. They've got metal rulers on this desk, basically. And it's this weird thing, but it was, yeah, created for The Witch. And Daniel Hart used that instrument also for this movie. And um, last I heard, there's about 12 of them now. So I'm, I'm gathering that. 12 of the instruments that have been made? Yeah. Oh, wow. Which okay. blows my mind that in 2015 or 16, I've read, when did The Witch come out? 2015? Um, Yeah. 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 Okay, so it must have been about 2015 then. It blows my mind that you can invent an instrument in 2015. And yeah. not only that, then it becomes very quickly used by multiple people. And also Mark Corvin's actually gone on tour with it. But it's I think it's great. I think it's a, a wonderful instrument. And the noises that it creates are really like, as we said earlier, atmospheric and just creates like it's, this. It's just oh. really eerie. Yeah. It's, I mean, it makes complete sense now that you've pointed out that it was created so recently and used in both films. It, it's a very distinct sort of, I, I don't even know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's its so unique. It's, yeah, it's unique. It's like a thick fog of grim, grim fog. A grim fog that's of a, noise. A grim fog of noise, <laughs> yeah, that's it, we've nailed that. <laughs> but, but also kind of, because it's not something we'd ever really heard before, quite uncanny. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Distinct, yeah. So writer, director, editor, producer. I know. A man of uh, many hats. M many, many hats. Yeah. I, I, no, I was going to do Lissard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave that in season one where it belongs. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> David Lowry. Yes. Have you seen any of his other films? I haven't, no. Yeah. Oh, no, I have seen The Old Man and Gun. I tell him Have you? I have, yes. Because I, I, I've seen Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Mm. I didn't watch A Ghost Story. I don't know why, because it, it kind of seems like it would be up my street. Mm. Maybe it was Casey Affleck, Ick. Yes. Have you seen Pete's Dragon? Have I seen Pete's Dragon? I must have done back in the day, yeah. Right. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I gather it's about a dragon. Wait, are we talking about the, the animated one? Or was there, wait, I'm so confused. Is there a live action remake? Hang on, if there's a live action remake, box. I haven't seen that one. Letterbox, letterbox, letterbox. <laughs> Quickly, letterbox, give us the information. Letterbox, fill some air, fill some air. Pete's Dragon looks like a, a live, uh, who's that? That's Bryce Dallas Howard. So it's, Oh, then no. It's a picture of her face, so I assume it's a live action one in 2016. Is she the dragon? Um, that would be terrible is. casting. Grace. I have no idea. No, I've, I must have seen the, the cartoon. Why is this relevant, by the way? Because <laughs> David Lowry directed it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's unusual for him. It, it seems to sort of stick out a bit in the rest amongst the rest of his movies. Yeah. I listened to him on the Roger Deakins podcast earlier on this afternoon, and he was talking about kind of his career. He didn't talk an awful lot about The Green Knight, which is disappointing. Okay. I kind of enjoy that. Also, he did, he, he sort of went for his career and he spoke about, uh, what was that film you mentioned earlier that you've seen? <laughs> Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Yeah, he'd made that and Disney approached him to write Pete's Dragon. Right. Later on down the line, they said, you know, would you like to direct it? And he said, you know what, you know, I've put so much of myself into this script that, yeah, actually I would. So it wasn't kind of on his radar, but he kind of was presented to him and um, he went with it. And I imagine he 
he needed to get paid as well. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, a long-time collaborators. He works with uh, DOP, Andrew Droz Palermo, uh, scored Daniel, Daniel Hart, who also worked on Ghost Story, Old Man and Gun, Pete's Dragon, all those guys have worked together. Oh, going back to the DOP, actually, he also did Your Next, which oh, is did notable because obviously that's, that's a really, really great film that you love. Yeah. You've showed me since we've known each other. <laughs> did we watch that the first time we actually met? Uh Possibly. I feel like we double build your next and cheap thrills. Yeah, that does sound that does sound about right. Um, I do write down everything that I watch, so <laughs> it's quite an easy way to check that. <laughs> it's probably not interesting to anyone but us, so no, let's move probably on. Probably not. So before we get too stuck in, do you have a synopsis? Yeah, I do. On Letterbox, the tagline is "When Honor, when Honor, when Honor, when Honor was everything." <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. When Honor was everything, yep. an epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend. The Green Knight tells the story of Sir Gawain, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew, who embarks on a daring quest to confront the eponymous Green Knight, a gigantic emerald-skinned stranger and tester of men. He's not emerald-skinned. He's he's brown. The Green Knight. He looks like a tree. The Green Knight is green. He's not green. He's green. In the poem, he was described as a man with green skin. Right. But in the film, they chose to go with a more abstract representation, I guess. Yeah. But he's definitely more brown than green. Is he? Yeah. I'm remembering it differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm remembering him very clearly. You're picturing green. Lou Ferrigno <laughs> as the Hulk. <laughs> I'm picturing uh, the jolly green giant. Was he green? <laughs> the sweet corn guy? Um, you don't see him anymore, do no, you? No, you don't. What I mean, happened to it? Whatever happened to the Jolly Green Giant, eh? If there was ever a food that didn't need a mascot, it's tinned it's sweet corn. Corn, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you market corn? I know, we'll get a giant, we'll, get, we'll paint him green. This will appeal to children, surely. <laughs> I love giants. <laughs> Said no marketing team ever. Yeah. There were giants in this movie. I'd use the giants yeah. in this movie to market corn. Would you? Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think that would be very successful either. What product would you use them to market? Um, Models of... Tiny giants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, cast. I'm just going to skip through the cast. We we, we touched on some the witch connections earlier because mm -hmm. obviously we've got Kate, Dickie, and Ralph Innocent in this, who were in our first episode of Folklore Season. Yep. Which also Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Sean Harris, Joel Edgerton, Joel Edgerton, Sarita Chowdhury, Barry Keoghan. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting Barry Keoghan's in it. Weird dude. Yep, Banshees of Inisherin, Killing the Sacred Deer, Saltburn, Eternals. Mm. He's having a bit of a moment lately. Yep, he's everywhere. But you can see why, he's fucking great. Mm. I thought Dev Patel was really good in this. I mean, he's got a pretty good reputation these days, hasn't he? I, mm. I was never really a fan of Skins, mm. but am I right in thinking that's where he got his start? I think so. And then was he in Slumdog Millionaire? Slumdog Millionaire. Right. Yeah. And then... Was that the project that sort of initiated his Hollywood career then? Uh, I would I would probably say so. Because it was, it was super opinion. high profile, wasn't it? So Yeah, it was it was everywhere when that movie came out, I remember. But um, he also was in Lion, which was yep. very good, and he was excellent in that. Mm -hmm. Chappie, which comes up. Oh, yeah. Every now and again. I wish it wouldn't. I Yeah, I know. I understand your problem <laughs> with that film. I think it's all right, but I, yeah. yeah. There are reasons to not watch it, let's say. The Personal History of David Copperfield, which I've still not seen. I haven't seen that either. No. Um, the Man Who Knew Infinity, which I haven't seen that either, and The Wedding Guest, which was all right. It was, he, was pretty, he was pretty good in that. So it turns out I've seen very little of his work. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Based on that list, anyway. Would you would you watch more based on his performance in this movie? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. He's, yeah. he's kind of... It's weird, because he's not a very likable character. In this? In this. In what way? In the way that he's kind of wasting his life. He's kind of a philanderer. The first time we see him, he wakes up in a brothel. He just seems really feckless and uninterested in sort of settling down and, I don't know, getting getting more out of life. Yep. Obviously, he has big ambitions for heroism and mm. he wants to become a legend, but it's not for the right reasons. No. And, and he doesn't want to necessarily do the, th the things that he needs to do to yeah. reach the kind of notoriety that he desires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's not interested in honour or virtue. He's quite selfless and short-sighted. Mm. Um, so but I think that's completely intentional, right? Because the, the whole film is his journey, both literal and proverbial. Yeah. So he kind of needs to start as a bit of a dickhead. 
yeah. for us to warm to him. And But I also think it's really difficult to create a character that is so unlikable and have you invested in their journey. Yeah. So it, it was kind of a stroke of genius casting him because there is something really magnetic about him, even though he's not a very nice person. Yeah. He is a kind of a bit of a toe rag. I don't know. I was interested See, from, I, from minute one. Yeah. And I agree with, absolutely agree with everything that you've just said. Funnily enough, David Lowry cast him because you need to be kind of on board with this character, even mm. though his actions maybe might, um, you might sour on him a little bit. Like he, mm. he wakes up, as you said, in the brothel. And I, th- I believe his first words are, I'm not ready, which is so indicative of- first words? I, I, I'm remembering it as his first words. I, I definitely made words. a note of that because, yeah, maybe, it, maybe they are his first words then, or first notable dialogue, because I definitely jotted that down in my notes. I wasn't paying too close attention the first time I watched it. So this time I was determined and I was like, that seems like it's going to be relevant. <laughs> and I was correct. <laughs> so yeah, like you say though, I'm I'm not, what does he say? I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And uh, he, keep, he keeps getting asked, you know, what are you going to do? And he says, I've got time. I'm not ready. I've got yeah. time. Let's, you know, kick this can down the road. Yeah, I want to be great, but you know, fuck it, I've got ages. I just want to fuck around for the meantime. Yeah. And I, I kind of find that uh, quite relatable as a as a character. I think that feels quite real and quite contemporary. Okay. And that, you know, you, whatever you decide to do in life, whether it's uh, whether you've got certain ambitions and goals on a career or if you want to have a family, whatever it is that you want to do, that is your journey, that's your quest. But you've got to know what it is that you want in order to do that. And I think the criticism on his character is not sort of knowing it's divided into nine chapters, and the first chapter is the Christmas game. Okay. Did you make a note of what the chapters were called? I did not. I went no. onto Google and copy-pasted from Google. Right. <laughs> I Yeah, the Christmas game was the first one, and that's when Gwen Garwin, I'm going to say Gwen because that's how we say it in modern. Well, yeah, apparently it's kind of Gawain now, but back then it would have been pronounced Garwin. Yeah. Strange. But yeah, so Christmas Christmas game, Gwen goes into the uh, food hall, the celebration chamber. Of- I think, <laughs> celebration chamber. I think it's King Arthur's court. Yeah, and, and while Gwen's character is, is in there, King and Queen kind of question him a bit. You know, what are you doing with your life? Mm. More pressure. Pull your fucking bootstraps up. Yeah, get, tell me a story so I may know thee. And he goes, I ain't got shit to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't done nothing. All I've been doing is playing GTA. I'm watching Love Island. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's been wasting my life. <laughs> um, see, very contemporary. Yeah, absolutely. And all while this scene's going on, it's cut between scenes of Gwen's mother, Sarita Chowdhury's character. Yes, who is King Arthur's sister. Yeah. Now this is this is sort of where it diverges a bit from the poem because apparently I read somewhere that she's supposed to be kind of representative of Morgan Le Fay. Yeah. And I can't re- like oh, she wasn't King Arthur's sister. I don't believe. Right. But yeah, she's um, his mother isn't named, is she? I don't. I think most of the characters don't have names. In fact, I think the only ones that do are Gwen and Essel. Okay, interesting. Because everyone else, the other Alicia Vikander character um, was Lady, Lady, Lord and Lady, Lady, yeah, Lord and Lady, and she was also a giant. Was she? Yeah, she, I, I heard that she got. A, well, I don't know if she was credited, but she was one of the giants also. Oh, I hope she got paid three times. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Um, how many times did David Lowry get paid based on that? <laughs> uh, on that basis, he he was also a voice of the fox. Did you know? I didn't know so that. Another job. I yeah. love the fox. We'll get to the fox. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. He's my favourite. It's quite quite an important character. Well, yeah, I want to hear more about that then, because I'm still a bit on the fence about his role. The foxes. The, yeah, not David Lowry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've, I've got that down at this point. <laughs> yeah, he had too many roles. If anything. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, everybody's got kind of uh, job names. Right, okay. Is that what you call it? <laughs> What's a job name? Descriptors, Descriptors rather than names, yeah. Lord, Mother, Scavenger. Right. Obvi- which character was Scavenger, do you think? Kyogen. Yeah, of course. Weird little dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced he was acting in this. Nah, I don't Just like, just so show either. up and be yourself. Yeah. Where, it, where was it shot, this movie? Ireland? <laughs> I believe a lo- most, if not all of it, was in Ireland, yeah. I believe that they just, someone found Barry Kyogen walking around in a field and they just... Could took the entire crew that <laughs> quick Baz is here. Yeah. <laughs> Get set up, everyone. Yeah, so so it's fair to say that his mother could represent Morgan Le Fay then. Yeah. Who right. was known for sort of having studied the dark arts under Merlin. 
Merlin was also a character in this, right? He was the tattoo face guy, I believe. We're supposed to think that because he looked like he was doing a bit of magic, right? He looked like he walked off the set of Vikings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could buy that. The, the black magic stuff, Sarita Chowdhury's character is casting a spell or doing a magic. She's doing a big magic. Well, yeah, whatever she does kind of summons the Green Knight. Yeah. And I'm kind of still unsure about the purpose of that. Does she have some sort of power of foresight and she did that to sort of set him on a, a firm path? Because obviously it doesn't really end well for him. Spoiler alert. Well, I don't know. Does it? No. I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard I, I've heard differing opinions. Okay, Because you don't actually see what happens. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that anyway. But yeah, so you, you, you touched on there about what her motive was, right? Why yeah. she summoned the Green Knight. I'm intrigued. And I think that's where it starts to go down the road of interpretation. Okay. And I think whatever you... Because I, I think what you just described, can she kind of see what's happening? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And she's given him this opportunity. She doesn't know what he's going to do with that opportunity. So it's just kind of a hail Ma hail Mary on her part to get him off his ass. Yeah, come on, mate. You, you want you want to be famous or a knight on a you want all of that, but you don't want to do anything about it. Well, here's your chance. If you want the easy road, I'm giving you the easy road. Yeah. So he's presented with a choice when old mate arrives, who she summoned, Green Knight, which is a uh, Ralph Innocent Finchy. 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 And he turns up and he says, you know... We'll, let's we'll, play a game. We'll, let's play a game. If that's their idea of a game, fucking hell. <laughs> Did nobody have Mousetrap? I knew a Mousetrap would have been... Crash Bandicoot, safer. maybe? <laughs> yeah. When they said about the game, I was expecting Billy the Puppet to, to wheel in. <laughs> that would have been a, a crossover. A crossover, yes. Yeah, saw Green Knight franchise. No, don't fucking no. sully the Green Knight with the stench of saw. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, he turns up and says, uh, "Do you want to play? A game? Would you like to play a game?" <laughs> and Dev Patel says, "Is it Connect Four? <laughs> and the Green Knight says, "No, <laughs> no." He says, "Let's exchange blows." And then I'm thinking of something completely different. <laughs> I'm thinking, "What is this movie going to be now?" <laughs> would have watched that movie too. To be fair, I would have curiosity. Yeah. So he says, "Let's exchange blows." Yeah, and they do. And well, the, well, the Green Knight he puts his head down. And then Gwen whips his head off. Yeah. You don't have to do that. Do you know what I would have done? Not whipped his head off? I would have given him a lovely hug. Would you? Yeah. Because he was told the rules of the game prior. He was like, whatever you do to me in exactly a year's time, I will do to you. Yep. So just give him a lovely hug. And then in yep. a year's time, you've got a lovely hug to look forward to. What's the problem? Movie yeah. over. Yeah. Everyone hugs. Brilliant. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of a little bit of like, you know, you reap what you sow. He's given him the chance to do whatever he... He could have just given him a nice little peck on the cheek and said, In fairness, though, he, he did sort of like... It was a bit fucking leading. Cause, it was bait. He baited him to yeah, do it. Yeah. Like you said, he sort of leant down, offered his neck. Like, in a room full of knights, most of them would have gone for that. Yeah. Presumably. I, I gather. And the kind of role models that he's had, you'd expect that that would be the thing that he wants to do. The Green Knight obviously mm. knows that. It's that temptation of well, what path am I going to go down? But I think, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that fully. I think it's sort of more in keeping with how short-sighted he is. He's not thinking about yeah. the exchange of blows a year from now. He's thinking about what's going to make me look big and hard in front of all these fucking legends. Yeah. And, and also he doesn't really know if it's even true. Yeah. If Groot had turned up on a horse, <laughs> I'd been like, oh shit, man, this is, there's something going on here. Um, this is not right. I'm not going to fuck with this magic. So yeah, he, I wouldn't have done what he do, did on that basis. But to be fair, he doesn't know that he's going to whip his head off and then he's going to pick his head up and then ride off like Sleepy Hollow or something. I True. think he's quite surprised at that point. He's like, oh shit, man, Like I might actually have to do something in a year. So he's not entirely certain that there's going to be any repercussions for his actions. In the moment. In the moment. Right. And, and I guess that is kind of interesting in and of itself as well, because I suppose just like any any actions you do take can have repercussions way down the line that you can't possibly foresee. Yeah. Um, and I think from that Christmas game part of the film, that's where it starts to get into the area of whatever you think is what it is. And I, I like that Lowry has not necessarily spoken a great deal about it. Okay. Because that's... you can kind of chop it up to your own... Yeah. You can relate to it with your own experiences or have your own view on it. 
I, I think maybe he has done a director's commentary, so I imagine there's quite a lot of information on that, which I would really love to get my hands on. Do you not own this? No. That shocks me. I, I've seen it four times now, and I, yeah, I'm desperate to own it. I've okay. looked at some Blu-rays. There's a really nice collector's edition as well, which I... That will definitely be turning up in the post in the next week Maybe. then. It's like 50 quid though. I don't know if I'm going to spend that much money. <laughs> but so this is at the point at which it kind of becomes a choose your own adventure. Yeah. When yeah. you just... After the year is up. Yeah. We, we get a bit of the the intermediate year um, yeah. where we see kind of the beginnings of the legend taking roots. No mm. pun intended. And like the kids watching the Punch and Judy show, the puppet show. Yeah. Um, and it's already kind of telling of, oh, Garwin's greatness. He chopped the head off this tree man. Yeah. Um, and now he must go on his, his quest after yeah. the wheel of time has turned and he will now get his head locked off. Yeah. Well. <laughs> what a legend. What a brilliant bloke. Ledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's um, during that sequence is called A Too Quick Year, which is a very short mm. piece of the movie. But it's, yeah, it's him showing... It's showing Gwaine just drinking that yeah. year away. He's not changed one bit. He's, yeah. he's not preparing in any way, shape or form. He's just... He's been dining out on a town of Christmas Day for yeah. 364 days. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, after that, the end of that year, the king's like, what are you going to do, man? Like, your year's up. You've got to go on this quest. And Gwaine's like, um, you what? Shit. Sorry, what? <laughs> oh, I actually have to do that? Like, yeah. Yeah, bud, you do. And his mom's like, here's this green thingy. It will protect you. <laughs> yeah, the... <laughs> bandana um it's not a bandana it's not a robe is it it's not a robe um it's a it's a robe (laughs) a belt it's kind of a belt i can't remember the word um yeah so so he leaves with this quote-unquote protection and i love the fact that it's at this point like obviously throughout the film we, we refer to tree man as the green knight but the title kind of has a dual meaning Especially given the the sheer amount of colour theory in this movie. Because Garwin is also the green knight in terms of what green means. Like if you're a bit green around the gills, then you're inexperienced. Mm, you're... Okay. So he's also a green knight. I never thought about that. Yeah, he's a bit green, isn't he, that boy? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely, definitely works. I always, I just saw it as the green knight kind of represents nature. And it's just that cycle of life. Well, that's, okay, so that's, tied into my overarching theory of the entire film so yeah. we'll get to that later okay definitely okay yeah that was my only reading on on the green thing i think everything fucking means something in this movie yeah I, I, everything i definitely agree with that so he leaves on his quest his journey looks so fucking boring well, what it, do people do without headphones I, yeah no podcasts nothing man. No podcasts to listen to you can't even listen to <sighs> star talk with neil degrasse tyson <laughs> what are you gonna do man I don't know. Talk to your horse. It's not going to talk back. <laughs> yeah. People formed out like strong bonds with horses back then. I, I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> get your mind out of the gutter. I've seen something to do with that in a, a museum in Amsterdam and I never get to see it again. <laughs> oh, God, the least less said about that, the better, I think. Yeah, that chapter's called the, the Journey Out, I believe. There's a really nice long sequence where he's on the horse and kind of mm-hmm. the kids are, as you mentioned earlier, they, they chase him for a bit and then these sheeps walk across the road and there's this the man with the stick. like <laughs> Sheeps. And pointing at the sheeps. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's kind of on his quest to find the Green Chapel, mm. the Green Knight, week before Christmas Day, he's got... Yeah, I think in the poem it was New Year's Eve. Was it? Yeah, okay. but they changed it to Christmas for the film. So, yeah, he's on his quest and he stumbles upon Barry Keoghan, who, this is where... (laughs) It's fucking manic, (laughs) chaotic and weird. Yes. This is where we're kind of, he's introducing the testing side of things. Mm. Um, Which I I definitely did not get. Like, I'll be honest. I didn't get this on first viewing. No, not at all. I think one, one thing that I really hate about movies like this, or just movies in general, I I have a strong dislike for movies that make me feel stupid. (laughs) And I think that really informed my first viewing of it because by the end I was just like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah. And I was a bit angry at the movie because it made me feel dumb. And so doing a bit more digging, maybe that's why I've started to warm to it. That's fair. I mean, I feel dumb with most movies. I feel dumb watching Power Rangers, the movie. <laughs> You're not dumb. Although sh- plural of sheep is sheep. <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> When Gwen meets Scavenger Barry Keoghan's character, mm-hmm. it's on a battlefield where they talk of 
Yeah. A battle that has happened where Arthur had killed 9,000 people or something. Something, so, yeah. Doesn't doesn't he say that he had brothers or sisters or yeah, brothers who died on the battlefield or something? He's in a field where there's loads of corpses and mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Kyogen's character says the earth will take care of these. They'll get sucked into the earth and just become kind of part of the part of nature, part of the cycle of life. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's when I, I started thinking about the the nature side of things as well. Obviously, the Green Knight is we spoke about earlier being representation of nature itself oh my whole my whole theory about this film is that the whole thing is just an environmental parable yeah i've got that i've got that as a note as well oh um, good for you global warming. well you've got you've got several theories there cool <laughs> can't wait to hear them <laughs> uh, well since you mentioned it, that that then so what what gave you the thought of it the global warming thing so, um, I mean, in terms of climate change, the, the whole movie keeps battering us over the head with the, the notion that humans are infallible. We're very susceptible to minor ailments and we don't necessarily survive very long or we're not very durable. We're fragile creatures overall. But the earth, no matter what we do to it, no matter how much we seek to destroy, whether intentionally or accidentally, given enough time, it will always be okay. Yeah. It's, it's far more resilient than we are and we need to stop fucking mistreating it effectively yeah. and taking it for granted. Yeah, for our own benefit. Yeah. And I think... It's... Just just that ties into basically everything. Every, every single scene you can tie back to that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, King Arthur's... Uh, what's it called? Camelot? Is it Camelot? Cam- yeah. The gaff where he lives? He, that seems like a society kind of... <laughs> Sorry, I'm still stuck on Arthur's gaff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that seems to be a society on decline. Mm. It seems like it's had its heyday. It seems like... Um, well, it's very grey and drab and... Yeah. They, it, they've robbed the natural world of all its resources in that particular area. area. Yeah, they've plundered the forest and there's nothing left. What's left now is scraps and Mm -hmm. you've got characters like the scavenger who's who's picking up the pieces. And as that character says, we all go back to the earth. The earth will, in some regard, consume us and we'll be fine. Yeah, 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 that's just going to repair itself, just carry on. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. And also, I kind of felt that Linking back to that theory about the giants, because I would say that the, the the thing in this movie that I had the most problem with connecting was the giants. The giants, yeah. I, I'm still not 100% on that. So I've got a theory. Firstly, he's off his tits on mushrooms. <laughs> so there is that. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it might not be real. I mean, there mm-hmm. is a question mark over what's real and what's not real in this film, if oh, any of it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure that any of it's yeah literal. But also I, on this, my latest view, and I've been thinking about it, and I thought it was kind of like the giants, kind of like um, modern corporations, the giants of industry. They come in, they because they were leaving, they were going the same direction as Gwen, which I assume is the opposite direction to which he came. So my interpretation is they were leaving that area after it's been plundered. And I'm thinking a bit like a big corporation, the giants of industry, they come in, they plunder an area and then they fuck off and leave it. Maybe. I don't know if I agree with that, mostly because the giants seemed really um, benevolent, whereas corporations, as we know, are largely self-serving and evil, (laughs) whether they start that way or not. I think the people within them can be self-serving and evil, but the corporation itself is nothing. It's, it's, I guess so. it's an, an idea. It's, it's an idea that people hide behind to justify their own behavior. That's my, theory. That's my take on it. To but some it's... degree, yeah. But humans kind of imbue it with a sense of what they want to get out of things. Yeah. But, but either way, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily get that vibe from this bit because the, the giants just sort of seem like they're peacefully passing through. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're the ones who caused the destruction. No. No, I'm not saying that they've necessarily caused all the destruction, but maybe have benefited and exploited it in some way. Listen, it's a very short scene, and I'm really clutching at straws. I do have an alternate theory on that, Mm. based on the phrase, riding on the shoulders of giants. Mm. Because he does kind of go, oh, mate, can I have a lift? Yeah. Like, I'm going in that direction. Can I hop on or whatever? And the fox kind of hisses the giant away, which we'll get to the fox again in a minute. (laughs) I want to hear more on that. But I think they were just there to sort of highlight kind of what he's been doing his whole life, which is kind of riding on the shoulders of giants. He's been seeking glory, like other people's glory, without actually doing any of the fucking work himself. Yeah. So I feel like it's just sort of another way of emphasizing that. Yeah, I, I like that. It's He's been around 
what he describes himself as legends yeah. his whole life and he's seen what he kind of wants to be and yeah I do I like that the choosing of that phrase as well and applying that to the Giants I don't think there's a clear answer on it no I don't but, think there's a clear answer for any of it no exactly but that's <laughs> that's something that I like about it I, yeah. it does out of everything like I said I feel like the Giants maybe feels like the most random mm. but then also it kind of fits in whatever yeah. you want it to fit in and I, I really like the idea that he asked for a lift mm-hmm. but the fox hisses the giant away and then there's a question mark over what the fox's motives are as well if any I still have a bit of a question mark I mean again the fox I wouldn't say the fox seems benevolent because the fox definitely seems to have some sort of function in terms of guidance and steering him in <sighs> is he steering him in the right direction I'm not sure I in the right direction. That's interesting that you chose to phrase it that way. I think the fox. I think it depends who the fox is and what their motives are. Because I've heard some interpretations. It could be his mother that's possessed the fox or is the fox. Okay. So at the final hour, she's telling him to turn back because she knows that harm's going to befall him. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Because I'm so confused. So again, the. Um... I'm going to go backwards a little bit. I'm, I apologize if this is confusing, but just very quickly while we're talking about his mother again. So apparently the woman that is with the Lord and the Lady, which we'll get to, um, who's got the bandages over her eyes, mm. apparently that is also Morgan Le Fay. Right. Which ugh, I don't, I'm not even going to start <laughs> attempting to put those pieces together. But I do want to go back a second. Um, we've missed something and that's St. Winifred. And I feel like that's kind of important to talk about because she wasn't in the poem Apparently she was, um, look, I don't know how much truth there is to this, but apparently she was a real person. She had a partner or somebody who wanted to be her partner. She either spurned him or told him she wanted to become a nun. Jury's kind of out on which one happened, but he became enraged at that point and decapitated her. Mm. And he threw the head kind of on the floor and rumour has it that a healing well sprung up where the head was and it was only when her uncle discovered the head and kind of rejoined it that's not the right word put it back with her body that she was given life again so much like what happens in the film except none of this was in the poem Mm. so I'm curious as to why they chose to include that because there's like there's another bit that I find slightly odd so when the scavenger kind of comes back and ties him up and leaves him for dead. The camera pans all around the forest and then circles back around and Garwin is dead, like desiccated. He's a corpse, like skeleton. And then the camera pans around again and he's Garwin as we know him. Mm. And I, I, I don't know, I'm a bit curious about that. I know you said like your theory was that was kind of a possibility or like we were seeing a potential eventuality if he didn't take action that's yeah. that's that's definitely my take that's on it. your yeah. read on it yeah that's really interesting shot as well because it was all done in one kind of take and all of the changing of the seasons was done digitally yeah. oh it's brilliant yeah it's really well done but yeah i think that scene and the end scene are the two things that really clued me into what i thought this movie was doing and that i thought was a, a potential future as you say if he didn't take action he could have died at that point well there are some Doesn't people happen. who who have the theory that he did die at that point and then between him dying in the forest and then i don't know look none of this is literal so take all this with a pinch of salt and then arriving at saint winifred's when he jumps into the lake to retrieve her head the colors kind of go a bit weird and like Mm. bright red and we're not sure what's happening and then he obviously comes out reattaches the head she's a person and a lot of people think because that part of her legend is linked to this healing well that he was brought back to life by jumping in Right. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know how much stock I put in that theory, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. I I think it's, like I've said a few times in this episode already, like you can pick anything and just really go into detail, I think, as much as you like on it. Apparently, St. Winifred's Well is a religious site still in Wales. Right. Okay. And that's why Holywell got its name. Holywell? What's that? A place in Wales. Right. Okay. I don't know if it's pronounced Holywell or Hollywell, but either way. Interesting. I thought... All of this was just completely made up. Um, I thought it was completely made up, all of the characters and everything. I didn't think it was based on any reality whatsoever. I'm but, not well informed enough to know. But it sounds like from what you're describing, it's maybe at least loosely like stories have come from real events and they've changed along the way. 
Yeah, I mean... But in my mind, I just thought it was all fiction, completely. Yeah, okay. I mean, so it sort of ties into the ending, which we'll get to, but that kind of fits with the theory that legends are kind of spun. They're not based in fact necessarily, but on speculation, because obviously it's it's kind of a game of whispers, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which kind of ties into the fact that Garwin wants to be remembered as great, but in the end chooses virtue. So it's, it's worth briefly touching on the fact that he meets Lord and Lady. Mm. Do you want to talk about that? Joel Edgerton and Alicia Vikander, number two. Yes. Do you think maybe his mother is Alicia Vikander, number two? I really hope not. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think she she might be, though. She might be the fox. She might be her. She might be everyone. I think it's more likely that she was the woman with the bandages across her face. There's that too, yeah. Because I, I really hope she wouldn't engage in sexual acts with her own son. So do I. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to think about that either. Yeah, but it would explain why he's kind of reunited with the, the green sash thingy. Yeah, sash, that's the word. There we go. <laughs> um, an exchange of winnings, this, uh, yeah. this chapter's called. And I think that's an interesting title because that's basically what Joel Edgerton says, isn't it? While mm-hmm. you're in my house, anything that you get, can you please give to me also? Mm-hmm. And what it was that Gwen got was a handy. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that Lord also wanted a handy from <laughs> Gwen. Didn't get that. He didn't. Got a little kiss, though. He did. Got a little kiss. So apparently in the poem, they didn't engage in any sexual activity. It was just an exchange of kisses. Mm. Because he, um, in an effort to remain faithful to Essel, did kind of push her away a little bit. And that's where, like, in the poem, it kind of makes more sense. I don't know what my read of it is, is in the film, to be honest. In, in terms of him not being able to resist the temptation? In terms of him playing down what went on with the lady? To the Lord? Yeah. Oh, because he doesn't want to know. He's well, just yeah. embarrassed and ashamed, isn't he? Well, just, yeah, of course. Just, but, but that's why he legs it. He's like, oh no, I've done a bad thing. Could have just given him a high five. Yeah, could have done. <laughs> or again, a lovely hug. Yeah. That's another test in, in and of itself, isn't it? Like mm. share with your fellow human mm-hmm. the things that you get, pass them on and just be nice on your journey. And ultimately, that's what I think this movie is about. Like whether or not you want to extract a meaning from the ending, I think a lot of it mostly could just be justified as the journey enjoy the journey of it oh a hundred percent yeah like in my notes there's a line i think he says is this really all there is at one point um which to my mind immediately brings up the fact that it is basically a parable about kind of not wasting your life Mm. or look for looking for meaning in the wrong places the journey is the story it's not the ending that's the story yeah and i I like that but i I also don't think that it's necessarily that clear cut i I think Mm. that listen if you want to waste your life do it but don't but don't expect honor and greatness like that's totally your choice Mm. and you're gonna get parents you know you need to make something of yourself you need to do you need to be a doctor a lawyer whatever it is that pressure external pressure is being put upon you but maybe that's just not you maybe you just Mm. don't want that maybe that you're not that sort of person and that's fine too yeah but you you know you've got to realize that that's what you've got is what you've got and not sort of be resentful of the things that could have been yeah or get greedy for things if you're not willing to work for them yeah but also while we're on the uh, subject of the the kind of the journey along along the way i do like the idea that the good deeds that he carries out like the head giving the Mm -hmm. head back to winifred and exchanging a kiss with lord uh just the fairness the payment that he gave scavenger even though scavenger wasn't happy with the payment Mm -hmm. it was some payment so it's not completely clear-cut that he, he did a good thing or a bad thing but when he did do things that you can interpret as maybe the right things to do at that time, he got rewarded for it. And I kind of feel like that's, you know, a little bit like just going through through life if you're just nice to people. I feel like that kind of comes back to you, not literally, you know, you don't, you know, give someone a tenner and they'll give a tenner back to you. <laughs> like, I don't know, like the feeling of it, you're doing a nice thing for something, maybe they'll do a nice thing for someone else. You're just adding uh, positivity to the world rather than Yes, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily reciprocal, but it might be paid forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the, I feel like the net, the net positivity in the world mm. has gone up yeah. very, very slightly when you do a good deed. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do like the idea of him kind of being rewarded along the way, and maybe that's where you find your happiness. It's like you, you pay, it, you do nice things, and nice things happen to you, and that's it, and you're happy with that. Yeah. 
that makes sense because I don't know. I think it stands to reason that if you do good things and you're a good person, that would bring you a sense of fulfillment. Yeah. And it just feels nice to be nice. Yeah. It just feels, you know, it feels horrible to do the wrong thing. Mm. And um, Unless you're a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't know, I take a lot of that me- that kind of meaning from this film as well. Um, but also if you want to do something really great and interesting, then do Fill it. Your boots. You, you got you got to work work for it, mm. and it's going to be hard, and you're going to get your hand cut on your sword sometimes, <laughs> and you're going to be hungry, and you're going to eat some dodgy mushrooms probably. And you might get jizz on your sash. You might get jizz on your sash, <laughs> but you might meet a friendly fox yeah. along the way that may or may not be your CGI mother. But yeah, that may have been animated by Weta Workshop. Yes, yes. <laughs> I that that was the one thing I think in this film. It didn't look great, did it? It didn't look great, but. It doesn't really matter. No, in it, this instance, it fits in the fantastical nature of the film. Yeah, but yeah, there was there was sort of a weightlessness to it that didn't look quite right. It, yeah, but rather that than they use a real animal. Yeah, hundred percent. But it does really work here, like you say, the fantastical mm. nature of it. We're dealing with spells and wizards and sorcery. Tree dudes. Tree treemen. Yeah. <laughs> treemen. Um, <laughs> Mr. Treemen. Yeah. The, the Treemen Show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's the crossover we need. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. So I don't. It didn't really matter that the fox didn't look great. If anything, I think it maybe added to it a little bit. Yeah, because it made me think. Oh, is that is that real? That thing, and the fact that it kind of disappears and pops back up again. And I do think maybe it was his mother trying to guide him along the way. Can we talk a little bit about color theory then before we dig into the ending? Yeah. So obviously it's called the Green Knight. We've talked at length about the fact that green kind of relates to nature, the earth, all that good shit. He's kind of cloaked in yellow for most of the movie. Garwin. Garwin. And there's that scene as he's approaching the Green Chapel at the end where basically he's walking through like really thick yellow mist. So I'm guessing that's sort of tied to his cowardice and his apprehension. Like he's literally cloaked in cowardice the entire film. But there's, there's a number of other things as well. Like red generally kind of signifies danger, right? Yeah, I guess so. Or passion. Or pa- Yeah, or passion. Because I something I found really curious was the fact that um, Winifred has really shocking bright orange hair. And then in the scene where, towards the end, where he's kind of getting married. Oh, the flash forward scene. The flash forward the scene. End, the right. woman that he marries has the same shocking orange hair. And I wondered if that was relevant. I expect so. There's a lot of kind of... There's almost like mirroring. Mirroring, dualism. Counterparts, yeah. Because something else that struck me, like I, it can't be a coincidence that Barry Keoghan and Joel Edgerton look so similar. Yeah. I, honestly, it's weird. Can we get a film where they're playing like father and son or long lost brothers or something? Let's let's do a warrior sequel. Um, or we're going to call it Warriors. And no. Barry Keoghan is a third brother. No. Yeah. Watch the shit out of that. Yeah, but then Tom Hardy's the odd one out. Nobody's going to buy Tom Hardy's, but never mind. <laughs> Adoption. Okay. We can we can we can change the uh, original to suit that. That's fine. <laughs> Warrior, a new generation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, we can't call it Warriors, can we? Because there's already a movie yeah. called Warriors. Yeah, sure is. But yeah, so there's a there's a lot of as you say, like counterparts and duplicates and mirroring kind of. And I found that super interesting. Yeah. I don't know. May- maybe it's a comment on his limited life experience. And a lot of it is imagined, so he's filling in the blanks with what knowledge he does have. And that's why some people look similar to others. I yeah, don't know. Perhaps. But, it, it, you know, it's not, as we touched on earlier, it's not clear what exactly is and isn't real in this. No. So I, I certainly feel like... I mean, none of it's real. It's a film, Dan. <laughs> it's a poem. Uh, but at the end, when he has his flash forward, that's definitely not real, I assume. Yeah. Unless he's actually lived that life and done a no. time travel or something. No. I no, it's not real. So he, like you said earlier, I think he's feel, used the image of Winifred really there to project in his mind where he's going to go. So yeah, maybe it's because the character the scavenger character says to him early on in the film when Gwen says, "I'm looking for the chapel," and he said, "You were already in it. You're already in it. Yeah." So it could be once he's entered that kind of magical realm of quest and journey or whatever it is mm. that whatever he's confronting is some kind of part of his some subconscious, and he uses his own imagery as you touched on to fill in those gaps and present the challenges that he needs to overcome. Maybe it's all in his mind. It's all some kind of imagination thing. I'm going to remind you of this film the next time you tell me you don't want to watch magical realism. Okay. I think it's probably time we skip to the end, yeah? So he finally does arrive at the Green Chapel. 
despite the fact that the fox warns him away. Um, he gets in his little boat and he pools over. There's a little paddle. Yeah, yeah and he waits paddle. for the Green Knight. Very patiently. Yeah, to wake from his slumber. On Christmas morn. <laughs> Sits beneath the tree, <laughs> awaiting his gift. <laughs> That's a twisted way of phrasing it, but yeah, accurate. Yeah. Um, and then he he comes to and sounds about as creaky as I do in the morning. Treeman. Treeman, yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's that, um, there's the flash forward. Well, yeah, he's, he's sitting there, he's, he's given his axe mm-hmm. back to the Green Knight and the Green Knight's quite surprised. Oh, you came. Quite, he's like kind of shocked. Isn't that he? was earlier. Oh, was it? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, Chris, yeah, sorry. Yeah, smut joke. Sorry, I missed that one. <laughs> um, yeah, you came. He sounded quite surprised by that. And then he says, you know, Neil, and I'm going to just do what you did. Remember what you did to me earlier? And, and we're thinking like, nothing really (laughs) just just give you a hug yeah exactly i and and he yeah he sort of kneels and green knight goes to chop his head off and he flinches well he fully falls back at one point doesn't he and then runs away yeah uh, he runs away and then you see his horse has turned up again Mm -hmm. and then we get this whole projected kind of imagined flash forward like you say but you don't know that it's imagined the first time you watch it you just assume that what you're watching is it, well, I, I think I did anyway. I assumed that what I watch, what I was watching was actual reality. He well, left it would, the Green Knight. Yeah, it would have his, been in keeping with the cowardice he's shown so yeah, far. Yeah, exactly. He left He left the Green Knight with his head still atop his body. <laughs> and <laughs> the fact that you keep trying to work the word atop into everything. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he had it on his toes and, and legged it back home. <laughs> he and macked him he, off. He macked him off. He's like, fuck you, Green Knight. <laughs> Kicked him in the nuts. <laughs> Pulled his trousers down. <laughs> Gave him a wedgie. <laughs> um, went home and you see through the years that King and the Queen, they die. They knight Gwain. He becomes king, becomes leader of Camelot. You see the, the civilization fall. You see him have a child with Essel, who he takes away from Essel because I guess a king can't be seen to be marrying a sex worker because there's no honor in it. I would imagine the implication is Even there. if she is Alicia Vikander. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just plays out that he has kind of this, I don't know. I don't know whether I would call it kind of a sad life because... Regretful. Definitely regretful, yeah. And then we see his son dies in battle and then he's sitting atop his throne. Yeah. And he finally pulls the sash, the green sash away. Yep. And it's like he's sort of pulling it out of a wound. Mm. And then finally he throws it to the ground and his head falls off. And I thought that's where the film was going to end the first time. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But then we're taken straight back to the Green Chapel and he's still in front of um, Groot. Yeah. (laughs) That's sticking. (laughs) And he says, I am Groot. He does. And he says, I am Groot. Yeah, so he's he's kind of seen how his life is going to pan out or how I assume one possible version of his life could could pan out. Yeah. And he's thinking in that moment, okay, if I don't do this now, I'm going to live a life of regret. I'm going to be resentful of my inaction um of the quite relatively easy way of achieving what he wanted to achieve and he thought is it worth it i'm gonna lose everything i love and everyone i love i'm gonna be a terrible asshole yeah what's it'll be a point? long life but will it be a good one yeah what's what's the point and he chooses i think in that moment and this is what i i ultimately feel like this is a positive ending and okay a positive <laughs> movie he figures out that he doesn't want that he figures out that he definitely wants the honour and to be known as a legend and he doesn't want people to remember him in a negative way and he's happy with it. And then that's why Green Knight says, well done, you've done it. Well, I mean, before that, he says, um, there, I'm ready. I'm ready now. Yeah. And I fucking love that. Me too. Like, I didn't pay much attention to that, like the mirroring of the the first lines and the last lines yeah. the first time I watched it. And this time it kind of gave me goosebumps. and I was like, oh, yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Respect. It's, it's really. <laughs> I, I think it's a great, great ending. Uh, I love it. He's just. He's ready to meet his demise. Do you think he actually dies? I think so. I think he dies, and I think it's a good thing that he dies. Okay. I, that I would go one further and say it's a positive ending. I'm not convinced he does, and that's based on the ending of the poem. Right. Because in the poem, in much the same way, he does kind of go. He submits to his fate. He he arrives at the destination and goes, "Yep, go on." Offers up his neck. And the, the Green Knight kind of nicks him. He just cuts him to teach him a lesson. Mm. 
but ultimately he lives. I don't like that. That's too fluffy for me. <laughs> same, same. Too, you you know I'm a sucker for a tragic yeah. ending, so I'm going to go with the one where he dies. <laughs> it's too it's too much of a Disney ending. Okay. It's, 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 I, <laughs> the Disneyfication of Arthurian legend. Yeah. <laughs> they all lived happily ever after. It's like, no, no, dickhead. Actually, you're going to fucking die. And it's oh, realistic. Exactly. <laughs> and don't, you know, don't shy away from it. If anything, embrace it. Mm. Uh, it'd be nice to people enjoy your journey, but you're going to die. So what are you going to do? Are you going to spend your life worrying about it or are you going to prepare for, for it in the sense that you're going to accept it? Engage in a bit of hedonism, but not only hedonism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but ultimately just if if all you want to do is hedonism great but that but accept your lot in life that comes with certain repercussions whether you're going out on a piss every night you know you you can't do that forever one day it's gonna Mm. you're gonna have a great time but you're gonna end up peak doherty so (laughs) it's but you know what i mean it's it's it's, can't burn a candle at both ends um yeah, I, I like I like this movie. I like it more. I loved it first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, I like it more and more every time I watch it. Okay. And I do think it's one I'm going to be, this could almost be a, a kind of, a, I find it quite uplifting. I find it quite uh, an inspiring movie in terms of. Like a kick up the arse. Yeah. Like yeah. a <laughs> kick up the arse, but also, but also don't worry if you don't get kicked up the arse. Yeah, I guess Just, so. Enjoy, enjoy the ride enjoy, enjoy the journey enjoy the ride yeah which makes me feel of um makes me think of bill hicks <laughs> just enjoy the ride it's a roller coaster up and down oh. you can look that quote up right i thought you were going to say because there was a goat at the start of the film <laughs> <laughs> not talking about the goat boy stuff the one thing bill hicks did no no no, no, no. no. <laughs> thank you um yeah i think this i think this movie is a, a genuine masterpiece Okay. Uh, I can't wait to own this now and make it part of the collection. I'll watch it over and over again. Comfort movie. Comfort movie? Yeah, I think wow. so. Wow. Okay. So. I am going to... <sighs> so I, when we started watching this the second time, I was convinced it was going to go completely over my head again and I was going to get very little out of it. Mm. And it pains me to say... I've Why kind of, you? I've kind of come around to your way of thinking, and it, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. This is my the Vavitch, <laughs> I would say. Right. Yeah, I can see how that. How you feel about the witch is probably how I feel about this now. I kept thinking about Robert Eggers, Eggers, <laughs> while I was watching this, and I feel like this would make a really good double bill with something like the witch or the Northman, even. Yeah. Maybe the Northman would be. Good. I think Northman would be good. You've got the the Kate Dickey Ralph Innocent connection there yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, definitely the the witch. and the uh, the apprehension engine. Don't forget that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the apprehension engine. They're very much. Um, I don't know. They feel like they they could be part of a. They're very tonally similar. A box set. Yeah. Yeah, like almost like they're part of the same universe or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the apprehension you... engine cinematic universe. There yeah. we go. It doesn't trip off the tongue, but A E C U. <laughs> AECU. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> let's too. start that. Okay. Let's let's do the hashtag. Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think this is great. I, I th- and I really I'm really curious to go back and watch the ghost story now. Mm. I I would think, like to watch it for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, me too. I but I, I like David Lowry. I like the way he approached this movie. I like what he did with it. Mm. Such an old legend text that's been interpreted many many times and he definitely brought his own flavor to it while mixing a lot of different things together it's interesting that you use the word contemporary earlier because it does feel quite contemporary mm. but no effort's been made to modernize it at all i think it's in the grayness of it, it that's my take on it in the, the, the decisions that are made by the characters i guess so and i think also like the universality of the story like yeah. it's timeless yeah in a way. And very, very human. Yeah. Most human. Maximum human. Maximum overhuman. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're sort of mostly in agreement this week. I think so. I, I, I think this this film is a stone cold five star for me now. Oh, no, it's not five stars for me. No, <laughs> what stars is it? Oh, God. I can't remember what I gave it the first time. I'm hovering around a four. Yeah. Because I do have a, a newfound appreciation for it. And I, I need to immediately go and watch more Dev Patel stuff. What if I told you that David Lowry was a vegan and all of the food in the food, food hall, the court of jesters, what do you call it? The courthouse? Arthur's court. All of the food <laughs> Arthur's in Arthur's gaff. gaff. 
was vegan food. The leather was made from fungus for the costumes. I would say uh, five stars, masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) It was it, or are you just saying? Yeah, genuinely, genuinely. What good man, good for him. I think um, the costume designer had known that Lowry was a vegan, so she said, oh, okay, well, we've got costumes of leather here. Let's, Let's make them from mushrooms, naturally. <laughs> Mushrooms are versatile. They Don't are. laugh. Right? Lion's main steak we're getting, apparently. Yeah. Fucking sign me up. Well, based on that, I'm going to assume that Ralph Innocent was wearing an actual tree. He was wearing an actual tree, yeah. yeah. He he was he went full method. He stood He became in, the tree. He stood in a pot thirty years ago. <laughs> and they planted some acorns below his, his feet. And they just watered him and they watered periodically. Him, yeah. Turned into a treeman. <laughs> awesome. Um, One left. One left, yeah, one episode left next week to what we doing? conclude our folklore season. We're doing the Blair Witch Project. We are. OG Blair Witch, which was 1999. Mm, which I saw at the cinema. Yeah. And we've got a guest joining us. <gasps> Keep it quiet. Keep it quiet? Yeah. Don't tell them. Surprise. Surprise? <laughs> but we do, we do. We have a guest from one of our favourite podcasts. Are we genuinely keeping it a secret? Yeah. All right.